Well, Bridget, I think that, you know, you're starting off with sort of this idea of self-awareness. I give a talk called Eight Ways to Accelerate Your Leadership Odyssey. And one of the things I say is that to be successful, you got to get a PhD in yourself and be self-aware. Understand what motivates you, why you're motivated by that, and just being brutally honest about what you like, what you don't like, what you're willing to kind of crawl through the fire for, hills you're willing to die on, et cetera. So if you think, and a lot of people ask me about being a college president, so many so that I created a 300 page, and anybody wants it, just email me, a 300 page or 250 page PDF that says Pathways to the Presidency, which includes reports and things that I've read over the years, some pieces that I've written, some things that I've given to my staff when I started my first day as president at Hampton City College and at Robert Morris. And one of the key things in there is self-awareness and fit. Sometimes, Bridget, not just wanting to be a president, but wanting to be so badly, you go to a place where there's not a good fit. So you have to be honest about these things. Welcome to Innovating Together, a podcast produced by the University Innovation Alliance. This is a podcast for busy people in higher education who are looking for the best ideas, inspiration, and leaders that will help you improve student success. I'm your host, Bridget Burns. Each week, I partner with a journalist to have a conversation with a sitting college president, chancellor, system leader, or someone in the broader ecosystem who's really an inspiring leader. And the goal is to have a conversation to distill their perspective and their insights gathered from their leadership journey. Our hope is that this is inspiring and gives you something to look forward to each week. This episode, my co-host is Inside Higher Ed co-founder and CEO, Doug Lederman. Hi, welcome to another episode of Start the Week with Wisdom. I'm your host, Bridget Burns with the University Innovation Alliance. I'm Doug Letterman from Inside Higher Ed. Each week, Doug and I team up to have a conversation with a sitting college president or chancellor or a leader in the field that we think you should be learning from. And today is going to be a very special episode because not only do we have a distinguished college president, but also someone who's expanding and thinking about their career in a way that I think is going to be helpful for our audience to imagine alternative ways to grow and evolve and to expand their impact. So very excited about this. And that's why we call it Weekly Wisdom. This week by Chris Hauer, who's the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Arizona State University. He moved to that job after two college presidencies at Robert Morris University and Hampton Sydney College. As uh, Bridget said, a pretty unusual path. So welcome, Chris. Thank you very much, Doug. And I'm, I'm unusual for more reasons than, than just that. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago, we had you on the show for when you were the president, Robert Morris, and we talked about how you had also a distinguished military career prior to all of this. You, and you were also a college athlete. So you've done more than most people. And I just want you to talk us through this experience of, oh, you're a very successful college president. You could just go on and be a president anywhere. That You've done that job twice. But the decision to push yourself in this way of serving so many students, but from a different seat, I just think is so interesting. Talk to us about what were you thinking and not meaning what were you thinking, like what were you thinking, but what were you thinking and tell us about your headspace and what you were trying to accomplish. Uh, thank you, Bridget and Doug. I'm, I'm really excited about being on the show again. So the process was something like this. So I, I'd been at Robert Morris University for about five years four or five years in my board, thank you to them. They extended my contract. So I had a 10-year contract, which is really affirming. COVID hits, that was a tough time for all of us, but we weathered that storm quite well. I'm very proud of our executive team. But I just had to take a step back and, like you said, Bridget, get into my sort of headspace and say, what do I want to do now? 
If I can stay here at Robert Morris for several more years, at least hopefully, knock on wood, the contract played out that way. I had an opportunity and was heavily recruited to run and was asked, actually asked to run a, a public university in the South, smaller than Arizona State, but of course, everything is smaller than Arizona State, but a really fine uh, group of five university, which I will not name. And then there was this opportunity to come here. Well, as President Crow, Michael Crow does, he, you meet him and then he, he kind of collects people. And I had met him years ago on the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics and stayed in touch. And I just remember getting an email, hey, Chris, let's talk. And, and all these things were happening in parallel. And finally, after many Zoom calls, we probably would do, probably did six or seven Zoom calls on Saturday mornings. It'd be, I don't know, maybe six o'clock in Phoenix time and maybe nine o'clock Pittsburgh time. And we would just talk about and, and design with Jim O'Brien, his very trusted uh, chief of staff and a dear, dear friend. And just say, what if, when we say chief, chief operating officer, this is what we mean. So ultimately, I said, I'm in a point now where I can do uh, work at a level of scope and scale and do some of the things that I wanted to do in Hampton, Sydney. I want to do it. Robert Morris. We did it. We did well. Uh, and I say we collective team effort, improving retention, improving diversity, improving outcomes, moving up in ranks, all these sorts of things. But at a scale that you can only be done in a place like Arizona State University. So just put it like this and I'll stop at this point. And talking to my executive coach about this, about the same thing was like, you know, impacting the lives of 5,000 students to impacting the lives of 180,000 students, not to mention 350,000 learners that aren't even degree seeking. So I wanted that challenge. And as a, mil a former military person, the idea of moving up in command, moving over in a high level support position and back to the echelons of command is very common. So it was not uh, that alien to me. On that last point, there's kind of a careerism in higher education, like a lot of industries. There is this sense that you're constantly moving up. It sounds like the military may be a little bit different there. So essentially, you believe there was an opportunity to make more impact, even if the title was, quote, less impressive. Is that yeah. how you're thinking about it? Well, I think my title is pretty impressive, Chief Operating Officer, <laughs> President. But anyway, it's funny, though, in the world of higher education, Doug, in all seriousness, you know, I remember I started off as an associate vice president. I said, eventually, I'll start knocking off adjectives and I'll be the boss, right? Associate VP at Oklahoma, VP President. Right. That, right. Doug, that, that, yeah. No, 100%. So, but, but, you know, I was thinking about the fact that when I was named president at Robert at Hampton Sydney College in 2000, I guess, nine, I was 39 years old. Most university presidencies work this way. You start off as a you know, student, graduate student, assist, uh, associate, assistant professor, associate professor, full professor, chair, dean. And, and still, to this day, you look at the ACE analysis, Americans are usually a provost. Uh, a lot of people are not provosts, but many come to that. And you are, and the average president is usually a 61-year-old white guy um, who has worked their way up. And then they serve, on average, for about six years. So I'm about to myself, well, I've served as president for 13 years almost. I was named president when I was 39. I've served, like I said, more than 10 years, which is well past the average. And I thought to myself, I had nothing to prove, but lots that I want to do. So I kind of went to that headspace, that Zen moment of Zen. And, and, and my wife said, OK, Chris, you've been the boss for a long time. You've been sitting at the head of the table. Are you ready for this? And I said, well, it's not about me, you know, personally, about what I can do. And I will say that it's just the places I were before were outstanding. Even Oklahoma was outstanding. But just this place is just such a juggernaut. You mentioned Georgia State. I mean, we're working with Georgia State. We're working with Michigan State. We're at the University Innovation Alliance. I mean, 
the scope and scale of what we do overseas and China and India and the students that come here is just different. And, you know, in a, in a given day, I'm, I'm talking to people at, you know, Care Propulsion Lab. And the next day I'm talking to you know, the United Negro College Fund in a way where we can actually move the needle in, in a way that most institutions of higher education just simply can't do. So, you know, I, I checked my ego at the door. I still have a little bit left. And I just said, this is the team I want to be on, on for now. And I've enjoyed being not just with Michael, but my other five executive vice presidents who are also outstanding. Well, and I agree, you have a big deal title. I was just at ASU earlier this week. Again, more than 100,000 students, the range and depth of the work that now people report up to you. I'm curious about what it's been like because, you know, I have this experience of getting a chance to work with Michael Crow closely, and I learned a ton that none of which was traditional leadership stuff. He's a unique leader. I think you are also a unique leader. Again, helicopter pilot in the military, like doing all all these things that you just your extensive background. So I'm curious about what it's like to lead side by side with someone and what you learn. I'm curious about what you've learned from him, but also... If you have a sense of the things, or he's probably will tell you what he's learned from you or what uh, kind of stuff he's really appreciates about you. But I'm just curious if you can share some of those lessons that either you impart or he's imparting. Yeah, there are a couple of things about, about Michael, which are just really fascinating and, and, and very motivating. is his intense focus on opportunity and access, right? The idea of our charter, we're going to judge ourselves by whom we include and their outcomes as opposed to whom we exclude is something he wrote 22 years ago, but probably been thinking about for 20 years before that. In fact, I know the story. I won't relay it now. He tells me sort of how technology and science and opportunity and all that collided when he was when like in 1969, he had a, a Eagle Scout project he was working on. And some really interesting things ha happened in that period that really formed his idea about access and how technology can improve access and so forth. So the fact that he's so driven and focused on doing that in creating a paradigm that's truly an American university that would be democratic, not just on research like the Germanic model, not very purely elite like the British model, um, but something that's really unique to America. And then just all in for decades on that, right? So the focus, the ability to stay on script, on message. And then as Jay-Z would say, the doctor jerk off your shoulders. I mean, 20 years, I mean, I 13 years as a president, pretty much for me, not easy. Unique also as an African-American leading predominantly white institutions. Michael, for 22 years, you know, these are get hit, get punched in the nose type of jobs. The toughness, the grittiness, but the focus has been amazing. I've learned that for him. It's the intense focus and commitment, the intellectual underpinnings to make this thing work. I've seen him give speeches in Galala University with our Santana University over there in Egypt. I've seen him give speeches to our uh, African-American community here. I've seen him speak to our faculty. And there's just an authenticity and an energy, and it hasn't changed over 22 years. What does he learn from me? I think that I probably take a slightly more humanistic approach to things, reading rooms and making sure that people are okay in a way that he's, he's thinking about that, but I'm thinking about it a bit more. He has a great sense of humor. I always tease him. I say, you look like Bill Belichick, man. You need to smile more. But he has a hearty sense of humor. I've got a good sense of humor. I'm willing to put it out there in a way, probably a little bit more informally. And I think that there's a yin and yang that's useful. Again, not just with me. I play a role. The other leadership at the campus and in, in our us as a public enterprise play a role. But I, I, I think I usually get him smiling in a way that maybe not everybody does. And I think that's probably a good thing. And then I bring the insight and I, I often I will say, I know it's hard, Michael, but I've been in that seat too. So, you know, 
we're all doing. In fact, one of our other executive vice presidents, Shereen Gabriel, actually was a former president of Rush University, and she's now running our ASU health initiative. So it's neat to have, you know, it's like a joke. How many presidents does it take to launch a medical school? How many presidents and former presidents does it take to raise, you know, $3 billion? So we're working together. Today's episode is sponsored by the University Innovation Lab, which is a digital ecosystem designed to help higher ed professionals just like you and I accelerate innovation with a wide array of tools, trainings, resources, and community all in one location. If you also want to drive change and advance student success on your campus, but feel like there aren't enough hours in the day, and frankly, you don't always know where to start, the University Innovation Lab can help. It was created with tools and templates and professional development uniquely generated by the UIA. The lab helps student success administrators and innovators advance student-centered change and improvement more effectively with more clarity, collaboration, and impact. To join our waitlist, go to theuia.org and click the resources page. So it's interesting. The COO is typically a very uh, internal focused job. I'm curious if is a major difference. Maybe just build into your answer to this question a little bit more of a sense of what your domain is, mostly to focus on the differences between being the person with in a role that is typically very outward facing yes. as well as inward facing, whether that is building different, working different muscles for you or, or yes. talk us a little bit about that. That's a, a terrific question, Doug, because coming from industry, the COO role has a very specific moniker vis-a-vis -vis your CFO. We have a very talented CFO named Morgan Olson, who came from Purdue and SMU. So this COO role is not the sort of pure, like right here and stays internally and watches everything when the CEO goes away. There was a joke about Theodore Hesper when he was a great president in Notre Dame that, you know, the difference between God and Theodore Hesper is God was everywhere. Theodore Hesper was everywhere except for Notre Dame's campus because he had a equivalent of a father that was a COO. It might not be in that title, but effectively ran everything. Michael didn't need me to do that. He didn't ask me to do that. I have a portfolio of really cool internal things like our University Design Institute, our initiatives around uh, some of our initiatives around the military, our enterprise development, which helps our relationships with like, corporations like Starbucks, and Uber, et cetera, at multiple threads that, are, that that I like to joke and say they were so heavy in the office of the president, Michael and Jim had to give them to somebody else. And I said, sure, thank you very much. It's a really cool, very ASU group called the, I christened it the COO Enterprise Council, a, aka the Avengers. There's these people with all these amazing skill sets running all sorts of cool things across ASU as a public enterprise, which includes the university pieces and also the other things that append to the university. So that's part of it. And then enterprise technology, which is uh, run by Lev Gonick, our CIO, which is a thousand people almost and $140 million operating budget in the most probably technology advanced university in the country. That all reports to me as well. So that's a big part of it. But then the other part, Doug, and I'll, I'll end it up here. We have a constellation of relationships where we either have equity or deep partnerships with programs that are tethered to ASU, like Centana, which is a international education company that helps launch or helps support universities around the world where I sit on the board or Instride, which is what we use to kind of replicate what we do at Starbucks with other corporations around the world. I'm the board member there. Our Dreamscape Learn, our immersive learning technology, which is I'm the, uh, the board observer, Michael's on the board. And in addition, serving in roles that support our academic enterprise, our knowledge enterprise, and our learning enterprise on their various management councils. It's a very unique model, which is another lecture I need to put on a screen. But I would say, though, 
making sure the trains run on time internally. I'm actually pretty good at that as well. And I do a lot of that, uh, but it's not purely what I do. It's probably one of the reasons that I decided to take this opportunity was that other reach outside the purely making sure that these things are done internally. Our CFO does probably more of that than I do, although I do some. And actually, it's been a lot of fun. We've actually done some of this together in a way that's been pretty effective. And I have a big role in Sunday Bowl Athletics as well, which has been, you know, obviously with the Big 12 piece has been interesting to say the least. <laughs> I feel like often, and our audience might feel this way too, that in higher ed, we're a little too obsessed with climbing the ladder in a linear way. Like I've seen a lot of people who aspire to the presidency that frankly, it's not a good fit for their personality. It's not a good fit for, for who they are, but because it's the next step, then they end up being miserable in a presidency, which is a really complicated and difficult job. What I'd like is for you to share um, some degree of coaching with our audience about how you think about that in terms of filling the, in my mind, I like to call it filling the Bridget shaped hole in the world, but you're filling the Chris shaped hole in the world. And you were open yeah. to where that led you because you were pretty obsessed with impact. I'm interested in you talking about for someone who might be thinking about their career, like help us see that it isn't necessarily going for the next rung, but rather going for the right rung for you and creating your own rung or thinking laterally or different version of growth. Yes. Well, Bridget, I think that, you know, you're starting off with sort of this idea of self-awareness. I give a talk called Eight Ways to Accelerate Your Leadership Odyssey. And one of the things I say is that to be successful, you got to get a PhD in yourself and be self-aware. Understand what motivates you, why you're motivated by that. And just being brutally honest about what you like, what you don't like, what you're willing to kind of crawl through the fire for, kills you're willing to die on, et cetera. So if you think, and a lot of people ask me about being a college president, so many so that I've created a 300 page, and anybody wants it, just email me, a 300 page or 250 page PDF that says Pathways to the Presidency, which includes reports and things that I've read over the years, some pieces that I've written some things that I've given to my staff when I started my first day as president at Hampton City College and at Robert Morris. And one of the key things in there is self-awareness and fit. So sometimes, Bridget, not just wanting to be a president, but wanting to be so badly, you go to a place where there's not a good fit. So you have to be honest about these things. Now, in terms of, of you know, me, well, I would say, let me take a step back. Let me just talk more about the presidency. I mean, sometimes people, they and you alluded to this, they like the idea of being a president, but they may not recognize that really most of the job of the presidency is bad news. <laughs> you, you know, if things are going well, you're really not needed that much. I remember years ago when Dick Cheney was a secretary of defense, I heard him give a speech. He said, you know, by definition, decision comes to me, then it's hard because it was easy. It should have been made before. So you're always dealing with finite resources, having to choose one constituency over another than another. You're having to deal with bad things, bad messages. Something went wrong in a, an athletic program. Something went wrong with a school redesign. Something went wrong with fundraising. This is another big one. When people perish, when it's so sad. I didn't, I didn't know I was going to go through so many funerals. If your faculty, staff, students, if they pass. If their families, they pass. Uh, alumni, trustees. It's 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 amazing. People think it's like a like it's like I'm the president. I get to put on the presidential robes. That's a a small part. So you have to spend a lot of time just dealing with people, making them okay. As you kind of create the shared division, you can't knock them over the head with it. You have to hopefully be in a place that fits with your personality. So these are just as importantly about you know 
me moving around or whatever is that if you think you want to be a president, make sure you look behind the curtain because it is not it is it is not fun as much as you think it might be fun because you think you sit at the head of the table and you just dictate this, that and the other. If you do first off, you do that, you don't last long. And secondly, you're not going to be effective. So a couple of this sort of streams of consciousness on that. And I think this is being honest with yourself. Me, I went a kind of an unusual route. But also, again, being named president when I was so young, 39 years old, and doing it for a pretty good while, like, I don't say I got out of my system. It's just like, I don't feel like I have to run out and prove anything. I just feel like I want to give and, and, and bring impact, as you, as you alluded to, Bridget. So you've already done a little bit of this in already, but in the couple minutes we have left, it's clear that you are an accumulator of advice and guidance and that you use to guide your own career. We always try and leave this audience with some thoughts on what they should be reading or watching. So what are the things that have most helped you in your career so far that you would advise some of the people listening to read to understand themselves and what they might want in their careers? Let me start off with the mantra first off, and then I'll go to a couple, I think, documents that have been useful in my life. So so my mantra has been the last 15 or 20 years or so, so lead, serve, grow. I've got a tripod of how I make decisions. One of the, I was talking to a young man that I'm mentoring out here at ASU now. I look at those things and I say, if I'm not doing one of those things, it's time for me to move on. It's like it's time, like the, you know, you've removed the pebble from the hand of the master. So if I'm not leading, I'm not serving, I'm not growing, then I'm looking for something else. So finding that Zen, that moment, that tripod has been very, very important to me. In terms of on the journey, it's just, it's these people, and both of you have had them in your lives. They just come into your life and they just give you these wise points at certain points that carry the day. I had a guy named Colonel Mark Hyatt. When I was at Oxford on the Road Scholarship, he was an F-11, F-111 squadron commander at the nearby base. And I remember him telling me when I was a young lieutenant over at Oxford, he goes, and I thought I was going to stay in 20, 30 years. My buddies now, by the way, they're generals or retired generals. That was pretty amazing. And I remember him saying when I was, I don't know, 23, 24 years old, he goes, you know, Chris, you can serve your country in many different ways. It might be in uniform. It might not be in uniform. Just understand that in the United States Air Force Academy, we're making leaders of character to serve our nation and serve our democracy. And I thought, that's cool, but I'm going to be a pilot and be 30 years and maybe be the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. So that was, I still, it, 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 so I, so when I made a decision to leave active duty, I thought it's okay because Colonel Hyatt said it. So I would just say, listen to that, those wise women and men and people in your lives as you sort of go along. The last two things I, I think about sort of reading, I mean, just do two things that I've been, re that I read and uh, a long time ago and recently that have kind of helped me out. And uh, they're a little unusual. First one is the autobiography of Malcolm X. Malcolm X was a strong black man. Ozzie Davis, when he eulogized Malcolm X after he was murdered, after X was murdered in the early 60s up in uh, Harlem, he just talked about why Malcolm stitched together, how he stitched together his life going from prisoner, hustler. Well, first off, he was a great student, then a prison hustler, Nation of Islam, changed his mind and was not a black, a black Muslim, but a Muslim in general, and how he carried his authentic black self forward. That was really reaffirming for me as a guy who lived in a bunch of different backgrounds. That was powerful. There's another book called On Becoming a Leader by Warren Bennis, who had been a university president and a combat infantryman in Korea. He was at the Marshall School. He taught there and actually was a whisper for many CEOs on the, on the West Coast of Silicon Valley. In that book, it talks about, you know, leadership is a journey to becoming your authentic self. So it's a very vulnerable sort of point. He talks about the importance of being the other 
I was like, this is great stuff. I, I taught that book on many occasions. That was very important to me. And as I was saying a little before this recording, in terms of the thing I love about working with Michael Crow is that he builds pretty phenomenal teams. So it's like the Marvel Universe here. I mean, you walk around ASU, I, I swear I saw, you know, Thor and the Hulk. Of course, I'm T'Challa, the Black Panther. I, you know, Wakanda forever. So I, I've taken that title. But there's a great book by a guy I worked for on a couple of occasions named General Stan McChrystal. And General McChrystal ran Joint Special Operations Command and was very successful down in Iraq and created this thing called Team of Teams. And it, 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 it's amazing that he said a couple things about shared consciousness, a common vision, taking complexity out, taking complication out when you're dealing with a complex environment. And he talked about the importance of this. He says, not every Navy SEAL needs to know every Army Ranger and not every Army Ranger needs to know every Navy SEAL. But some Rangers need to know some SEALs and some SEALs need to know some Rangers. And so he was running this operation where we had CIA, National Security Accounts, National Security Agency, Central Command, Joint Special Operations. And he wove that together using technology to get effective outcomes in a world where we're getting our butts kicked. Well, Michael's kind of like the General Sam McChrystal of higher education because he's weaving together technology, industry, civil society, all these things. And not that other people don't do it, but Michael's done it at scale in a pretty masterful way. So that team of teams, as I was reading that and thinking about, you know, coming here and joining this team of teams, these great people at ASU, it just, it felt right. So there's a couple of points there, Doug. I hope you're useful for the audience. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Chris Howard. We have really appreciated having you here. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. And Doug, as always, thanks for being a great co-host. And we hope this has served you all as much as it served us today. And we'll see you next episode. Mm -hmm.